team member named Strick, his, I guess his real name was Henry. Uh, yeah, what a stupid name. Who? What? Why? Why is that his name? Because his last name, I think, is Strickland. Oh, jeez. What a dumb nickname. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what a, I would not be screaming that in the middle of, like, a mall. What am I, like, in, like, sixth grade, a mall? Like, hey, Strick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you nostalgic, a parent, or perhaps a child at heart? When it comes to children's media, from books to TV shows, and even movies, there's often more than meets the eye. Is it well written? Does it still hold up today? What works and what doesn't? Or maybe you wonder what went on behind the scenes of that work. Together, a trio of adults who are also kids at heart, will critique and comment on a new piece of children's media each episode. Hello, this is Eric. Hi, I'm PDJ. And I'm Rico. You're listening to Beyond the Lens, a family-friendly podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode of Beyond the Lens. I am, this is Rico, I am joined by Eric once again. Hello. Unfortunately, once again, due to scheduling conflicts, PJ will not be able to make it for this episode. But we will press on. So today's topic is the old PBS show Ghost Rider. <laughs> so how familiar are you, Eric, with Ghost Rider? Honestly, I'm more familiar with the theme song than anything else. Um, I've watched, I know I've watched several episodes when it first aired, but I only remember a few of them, like, immediately off the top of my head. I know it was a show that I got into, though, when it was on. Yeah, I I guess what's uh, interesting for me is that I was born uh, right after the show, like, stopped during new episodes, so, like, I do not remember it from, like, growing up or anything, per se, but, mm-hmm. but if you, but if you remember, uh, b- back in, I think it was 2009, when Sesame Workshop announced the electric company was coming back, and then people started comparing that, that show to Ghost Rider instead of the original Electric Company. I'm like, huh, interesting. So I checked it out, all the episodes, at least as of this broadcast, uh, and also true back then, they were up on YouTube. And so I was able to watch the show on YouTube, and so that's how I became familiar with it. I will say it's a very fun show and a very fun concept, which is, I think, what dragged, what drew me into, dragged, literally, grabbed me from the TV and just dragged me. Um, what drew me into the show was the, was the style. It was a very, like, boxcar children, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys type of show, but, like, it had the supernatural element to it, which was really cool and different. Yeah. So, as I've said, Ghost Rider was a TV show that aired on PBS from 1992 to 1995. It was produced by Sesame Workshop 
and DBC television and it was designed to promote literacy. It featured a, a diverse group of kids who solved mysteries around the neighborhood with the help of a friendly invisible ghost they named Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider can't hear or talk and he can only see letters and words. He communicates with the kids by writing using letters nearby and moving them to form new words. The group of kids, which is called the Ghost Rider Team, they write to Ghost Rider to talk with them, and the kids are the only ones who are able to see Ghost Rider. Whenever the kids needed help, help or wanted everyone to come together, they would write the word rally followed by their first initial, and Ghost Rider would then send that message to each team member. I guess one thing that made the show unique was its serialized storyline, which unlike most shows, like you just watch one half hour episode and then you get the full story, Ghost Rider, they had four to five half hour episodes that when put together made up a single story. And so I guess my first question is, is did you like that? And, and also, were you familiar with, I guess, a serialized type story prior to Ghost Rider? And um, as far as I know, I don't think I had seen anything that was serialized before that point, to my knowledge. Um, I think it, I think now with formats with the internet formats like Netflix and Hulu and now Disney Plus, I think a serialized format would work so much better on a binge-watching type thing. Um, I think what's difficult is, you know, the tune-in next week only works so much, especially at that time period, because if you missed the episode, like, you didn't know what was happening. I didn't realize it was serialized until, like, because when I caught it the first time, it was on, like, I think it was on Noggin. And mm-hmm. they played all of the episodes for the story arc in a, in a row. So I was kind of like, oh, okay. I didn't even think about the fact that like, they were split up until, like, I caught, like, a couple weeks later, I caught part, like, the second part of an episode story arc. And then it moved on to, like, a different TV show. And I was like, what a terrible idea to, like, leave me hanging like that. How awful. <laughs> So I think I think it's a good idea if you are a dedicated fan and you know when the show is going to be on. Um, I also think it's a good idea currently with streaming services. I think the format works much, much better currently than it would in the past. But then again, like a lot of shows in like the, the 50s and 60s and 70s in television were serialized. Not all of them, but a good chunk of them were like the radio dramas tune in next time to find out what happens so like it wasn't that it was uncommon I prefer having all of my story arcs wrapped up in one or two episodes of a series um cause you'll get that every once in a while you'll get the to be continued and then they'll immediately play like this like the hour long block of the nanny or whatever show it is um so yeah I think I think I have mixed opinions <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, I guess uh, that 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 was sort of new to me. Uh, 
watching the episode, I guess, I guess because on YouTube, like, at the time, obviously things had to be uploaded in, like, part one, part two, part three for a half-hour story, so then that got confusingly quick, where it's like, I just finished watching part two, and then I accidentally clicked the beginning of part four. And so then I had to go back and try to find the beginning of part three, and, yeah. But, but for me, I think uh, Ghost Rider was actually the first show that sort of exposed me to the, that kind of TV format. Another, another show, I guess, that sort of did that for me, this was on a much more uh, serialized level than Ghost Rider, is... The show House of Anubis that aired on mm-hmm. Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. Uh, yeah, and instead of just wrapping up like every four to five episodes, like you had to watch the entire season in order to get the full storyline. I think the only the the one big positive thing I don't like when shows movies anything trims down their story and their development just to fit the time constraints. So having something serialized where it's like, okay, we have four or five episodes to fill in the story arc, it gives them more time to develop the characters and develop the situation and the plot thoroughly, as opposed to it feeling like choppy and rushed like it does with other shows. So I'll give them that at least, that they are able to continue to develop throughout the the arc of five episodes or more, depending on what show you're watching. Yeah. Uh, okay, so then I'm briefly going to go over the uh, some of the more crucial parts of the first case called Ghost Story. This explains sort of the origins of the Ghost Rider team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it starts off with Jamal and his dad, who for the first two story arcs was played by none other than Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> and so they're in the basement uh, trying to pull out uh, an old trunk for Jamal's older sister Denitra to use for packing when she's going away for college. And then when they do so, they accidentally knock down a book and it opens, and Ghost Rider comes out. And later that night, Jamal is writing on Denitra's computer that she's giving to Jamal, and that's when he sees Ghost Rider for the first time. Ghost Rider flies into the computer and writes, Help, 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 help. Where are the children? Are they alright? He then tries to show the message to Denitra, but... Denitra only sees a blank screen, and then, then once she, she leaves, sort of like, like, are you losing it? Uh, he then tries to delete the message, but realizing that he can't do that, he then just unplugs the computer, and that makes the message go away. But then, unknown to Jamal, Ghost Rider then flies into his backpack. The next day, Jamal meets Lenny for the first time, after Lenny accidentally bumps into him, and while and while they're talking, Ghost Rider flies into Lenny's backpack. And then before school, Lenny works on a rap song she's writing. And then Ghost Rider emerges from her backpack and writes to her for the first time. And then 
In the hallway, Lenny confronts Jamal about what happened, and Jamal denies knowing anything about, like, knowing what caused it or anything. And then, Goldschroeder sends the two of them a message on a school bulletin board, but no one else sees the message. Jamal then invites Lenny over to his house after school. And then at Jamal's house, Lenny and Jamal see Ghostwriter ask what cornflakes are because Ghostwriter read it on Jamal's grandmother's shopping list. And then they just try talking to him. And then eventually Ghostwriter asks why they aren't answering him. They eventually deduce that and he can't hear so they try writing to him as he's writing to them. Jamal types on the computer, who are you? And then Ghostwriter replies, I do not remember. And Jamal then types, where did you come from? Uh, and Ghostwriter responds, I don't know. And so then, in the following exchange that happens, they learn that he, 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 he was a person, specifically a male, a he, but he isn't anymore, and then they tell him that they'll be his friend. And the duo then decide to name him Ghostwriter, which when they ask him if he likes the name, he says, yes, I like that name. Uh, and, and so fast forward through the entire mystery element of the backpack theft and the Thabtoe case and all that, uh, Jamal calls a rally for, for the first time and, and pitches his idea for the Ghostwriter team to, to the people who have seen Ghostwriter up to this point. And so Lenny, Alex, and Gabby all like the idea and they receive the official Ghostwriter pens. That explains uh, the origins of the Ghostwriter team. Um, I think they did a decent job setting everything up at the beginning. I think they needed to, and again, like I was saying before, with something serialized like this, you either have to give a huge chunk at the beginning of the first episode with something like this, or you have to, like, delve out the information throughout the series. So I think having it done in the first few episodes worked really well, um, and then you could kind of move on past that. When I first watched the show, I kind of came in in the middle of the series, like while it was on, kind of was like, oh, I'm going to figure this out as we go. So having then went back and watched the first section of episodes and have you that now redescribe it to me, I'm like, this is all starting to come back to me and, and now everything is still lining up and making sense. Mm -hmm. Next, we can talk about the the ghost sort of team members obviously we have Jamal who is the first to see Ghost Rider. he's sort of the team leader Jamal is African American and then towards the end of the series he starts to show an interest in science and then we have Lenny who is the second person to see Ghost Rider and Lenny's a Caucasian American uh, Lenny's mother died when Lenny was very young, and so that's something that is talked on throughout the series. And then Lenny's dad and Lenny herself are interested in music, and they both enjoy writing songs. Then we have Alex, who is the third person to see Ghost Rider. 
He's Hispanic and speaks both English and Spanish. His parents are from El Salvador, but he was born in the U.S. He loves to solve mysteries and is a great basketball player. And then, then as you see in the first few episodes, he develops a crush on another future team member, Tina, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. The fourth person to see Ghost Rider is Alex's sister, Gabby. Uh, she's younger than Alex. Uh, she's very talkative and occasionally teases Alex. Gabby is also the team member who cares for Ghost Rider the most and is the closest to him on a personal level when compared to the other team members and is an aspiring newscaster. Then we have Tina, who is the fifth person to see Ghost Rider. And uh, she's Gabby's best friend. She's Vietnamese American and is the first in her family to be born in America. And uh, she's an aspiring filmmaker and a member of of the school news team. Her family owns a tailor shop and in the first two seasons Tina and Alex do develop a sort of romantic relationship. Uh, then, then the next team member is Rob who is actually the seventh person to see Ghost Rider. The sixth person was Craig who was a missing in action sort of member who is only seen in one story arc, Cooper and Mr. Brinker's store. Rob is also an, a Caucasian American. He's a transfer student from a military family. Rob's father was in the Air Force, but now he works at the local VA office. Uh, Rob is incredibly shy because of moving around a lot, and Rob likes writing stories and poems, which is a source of tension between him and his dad. His dad would rather have him play sports than spend time writing. And then Rob is the team member who is usually more daring and easily goes into dangerous situations. Like there's one story arc where he's looking for his homeless friend and he finds out that he once spent some time in an abandoned subway tunnel, so they go into the subway tunnel only to get trapped there. And then another story arc where he's looking for his friend who used to be a gang member until he then finds that gang's secret hideout and he's, and he's caught by the gang and is pretty much attacked there. And then Rob actually leaves the show after the story arc lost in Brooklyn to move with his family because his mom got a new job in Australia. And then Hector is sort of the one, if you want to say, take his place in a sense. Uh, sort of is that member. He's actually the 11th person to see Ghost Rider. The 8th, 9th, and 10th person were Frank, Catherine, and Lucy in the case Just in Time, which is a story arc where Ghost Rider actually travels back in time between 1993 and 1928 and that's to solve a case that actually affects the history of the teen as a whole. 
Hector is Hispanic. He was born in New York, but lived most of his life in Puerto Rico. As a result, he doesn't read or write well in English. And then he meets Alex through a Big Brothers mentoring program. And then that's how he later meets Ghost Rider. He enjoys playing handball and sort of as he joins the team as Rob leaves and lost in Brooklyn. And then the other team member is Casey, who is the 12th person to see Ghost Rider. She's uh, Jamal's younger cousin from Detroit. Her mother is an alcoholic, and Casey comes to live with Jamal's family while her mother is in treatment. Casey is a practical joker and really loves peanut butter. And so I sort of ran through all those team members. I guess if out of all those team members, which do you think you would relate to the most? Oh, God. Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I associate with Jamal a little bit. Um, just being that he was the first one to discover everything, I think that's that's always how I kind of end up in situations is I kind of, like, look at something and kind of go, oh, this is cool. And then it topples into, like, an, a stupid extreme situation of some sort or I get, like, so deeply invested into something, um, you know, like... I'll give an example of um, our web series. Like, Joe said of the Starbucks parking lot about, like, Batman teaching Robin how to drive on the speedway. And then all of a sudden, like, we're five seasons into a web series because we were like, that would be fun to do. Let's just do it. And so, like, <laughs> I'm that person that, like, discovers something and then just, like, gets invested and goes, hey, friends, let's all do this thing together. Um, I think what's good about this show is that each of them is so super individualized it's not like oh there's just a bunch of like bland kids it's kind of like magic school bus where there's like each of them has a distinct personality has very different likes but they all come together and do have similar interests and one of them being this ghost that you know they solve mysteries with mm-hmm. yeah i mean while i do like filmmaking in that aspect with tina i actually would say the one I would relate to the most would be Rob, because uh, Rob is, I guess, shy and a little more reserved and likes likes writing. Uh, and uh, I guess while it isn't like canon or anything per se, like I, I could sort of see Rob like being a case for someone who was on the autism spectrum like I am because of like I said I'm being being uh, shy more quiet uh, like likes to keep to himself and then doesn't fully understand uh, I guess some of the more dangerous social situations like I mentioned earlier so I think I would relate to Rob the most that sounds accurate. Obviously, there's characters outside the team, including Jamal's grandmother, Cece Jenkins, and then Lenny's father, Max Fraser, and then, uh, and then Alex and Gabby's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Fernandez. And there's also uh, their principal at the middle school, Miss Kelly, 
Lieutenant McQuaid, uh, who is a police officer, shows up in many cases, uh, and uh, then there's Victor Torres, who is, is a friend of Rob in one story arc, and then he later shows up again a few story arcs down, like well after Rob leaves. And then there's, uh, the, quote, enemy of the team. I wouldn't call him an enemy per se, but I guess you can consider this character, Calvin Ferguson, that, I guess, enemy, if you will. And then, uh, then there's also Jeffrey Baxter, who hangs out with, with Calvin a lot of all that changes further down this, down in the series. So, and so I guess, out of all these characters, the characters I just mentioned, or there's a, a character on the team, do you have a favorite character? The only one that I remember, because we're, we're going to go into this episode, and the one that sticks out to me the most is I think Casey, um, who, because the episode that I remember, which I know we're going to get into more in a little bit, is the, um, uh, the attack of the slime monster. Um, so with her being the main character in that, like, that's the one, somebody says Ghost Rider, that is the first character that comes to my mind, is Casey. I don't know if it's... If, if I watch it again, I probably enough. I, I would 100% have a different favorite character. <laughs> this is just the one that I immediately remember and go to every time. Yeah, uh, yeah. The slime monster one that was actually like the the last episode or story arc before the show got canceled. I don't know why most people like just reading up on on it online. Why there's uh, why there's so many people who remember Ghost Rider from that story arc. Like it's, and it's actually uh, pretty scary as far as uh, the Ghost Rider story arc is concerned because of the whole horror and slime monster aspect. I mean, I've even read when people say that watching that story arc actually gave them nightmares for a while. Uh, and, uh... Yeah. Well, for me, like, if we're gonna talk, you know, well, I'll let you finish what, like, what your, who your favorite character is and why, and then we can go into, like, favorite episode, and we can go into more detailed discussion about uh, what I'm gonna talk about is the slime monster. Yeah, uh, hmm. Honestly, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I necessarily have a favorite, uh, character per se. I mean, I could say Jamal, because, so like what you said with him being, like, the, the first to see Ghost Rider and, like, everything got going from there. And then also, uh... We could briefly talk about Lieutenant McQuaid because he first appears in the story arc Cooper and Mr. Brinker's store, 
where he's the police officer investigating the arson that takes, took place in the back of Mr. Brinker's store. Uh, and in, in fact, in that story, he does say that he's part of the arson and explosives division of the 11th Precinct of the NYPD. But then, later on, we see him in cases that have nothing to do with arson. Like, like, like I think the next time you see him is actually in the in the story arc with Lana Barnes with the stunt double, but he's responding to an island one call, so I'm like, maybe there's a close to in the center, I can forget that, but then he's on the scene investigating uh, the theft of the TTC 5000, or the 3000, whatever, it's that model spaceship that was used in the filming of Galaxy Go from, from that story arc, and I'm like, what does that have to do with Arson? Like, was he promoted? Like, how does this work? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Alright. I'm gonna talk about this slime monster. So, <laughs> so the Attack of the Slime Monster was actually the first story arc that I watched. Um, I turned it on and I was like, oh, this looks fun. And then I was like, just entranced in the, like, the, the entire thing. Um, so, fun fact about Eric, I am very much a spooky, creepy doll-type person, because, you know, between the slime monster and Chucky and the living dummy from Goosebumps and, like, <laughs> all these other characters, like, I just, for some reason, I just immediately am drawn to these characters and, like, want to know what their backstory is. So, like, this is the one that I just deeply remember, and I was, I wasn't even terrified of the monster himself, I mean, he was creepy as hell, but, like, you know, there's, um, I think what freaked me out more was, like, when he, like, set the gum and covered people up, and, like, they were trapped, I was like, that made me uncomfortable, because I was like, I think that was the first time I felt claustrophobic watching something. <laughs> Um, and thinking about, like, well, what if I was trapped in here? I think I would cry. I, I just, I don't know what I would do. Blah, blah, blah. And so, like, yeah, that made me super, super uncomfortable. But that was what got me interested in watching the rest of the show. I did not realize until, like, looking into it that this was the end of the series. What a weird ending. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, I can guarantee you it was not planned to end on that episode. Oh. Uh, and I, in fact, I remember uh, like watching watching that last episode of that story arc. Uh, and uh, and if you know what happens, like they're at the graduation party because uh, Jamal, Lenny, and Alex are all graduating and. And, and Tina's throwing a party for them on her skyrise roof or whatever, and uh, and then then at that party, uh, there's uh, they're like okay, Tina's like okay, I think the ribs are ready, and she pulls off the lid, and only discover it's a slime monster that's on there, and then it starts. Packing people just like in their fictional story they wrote, 
And then all of a sudden, it cuts to a computer screen with Ghost Rider saying gotcha, and then the rest of the team sort of, like, it zooms off, and then you see the rest of the team, and they all say gotcha, and then it just fades to black, and that's the end of the story. I'm like, what? what? Why would you end the series there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you're right. It's a mess. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so the so the series had a total of seventy four episodes, and then obviously with it being serialized, like it was only eighteen cases or story arcs all together. You already talked about. Uh, the Sly Monster and that story arc, I guess. I, I guess for me, my favorite, it's hard to say, I... I can really... really like Cooper and Mr. Brinker's store a lot, but... I, I guess another story arc that I could talk about more is... Uh... One that's called Who is Max Mouse? And that's... That's the one where, uh... Well, there's a hacker who's infiltrating the middle school's computer network and they're causing all sorts of chaos from uh, many false fire alarms to notes on all the computer screens saying that their principal is dead and and, and so the, well, I guess what and it's interesting to know that this is actually like one of the first, and I also think like the only episode where we really explore the internet also with Ghost Rider and that element to it. And, and so they have a, and early on in the story arc they have the, like the IT or computer technician coming and explain exactly what happened and they, he says that there's a virus on the Networks and, and likely the virus is put on a disc, and then he holds up a CD as a joke because obviously back then CDs were only used for music, not computer data. And then, and then he so so, so we learned that the disc that uses actually a floppy disk, which I actually remember because like like they were just starting to to come out of style and rights with use when I saw these computers, but, but, yeah, like, that was something that really dated the show, as well as how, how the internet worked back then, rather than, like, having, uh, like, even a dial-up access to the World Wide Web, like, you would actually have to dial in to each individual computer, so they dial in, for instance, to the middle school's computer network, and they also, uh, dial into, uh, bulletin board for kids, it's, so, like, you have to actually dial a phone number with a modem to actually connect to the different computers, as opposed to, nowadays, we can just, like, say, go to google.com and up to mm-hmm. Google. Yeah, because, I mean... Now the technology is just advanced and changed so much. There's there's so much more that you can do. 
so I think it'd be interesting to see what because they were talking about bringing the show back recently, weren't they? Yeah, that's actually something that we talked about a little later in the notes. Okay, okay, I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, technology was at its prime in the '90s and trying to take that concept and still apply it to a modern time and see how that can continue to evolve and advance. Um, we can get to more discussion about that in a little bit. Yeah. So, so I guess, uh, as I said, Ghost Rider is actually at the height, at its height in its popularity when it got cancelled. It was cancelled because they simply just ran out of funding. In fact, one thing I found out from an interview that was published like many years after the fact is that they actually, uh, the producers actually got a grant from the National Science Foundation in exchange for like including science-based elements in a curriculum in, within the actual Ghost Rider story arcs. And so the last two actually do have that science aspect. And then also because of it sort of being cancelled abruptly from just getting out of funding, they, the show will never really, really adjust who Ghost Rider's true identity was, and I'll get back to that in a minute. But there's something else I briefly want to touch on, because the show was actually briefly brought back in uh, 1997 on CBS, it was a reboot that was called The New Ghost Rider Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it comprised of a new team of uh, Cam, Emily, and Strick. Uh, and fun fact about Emily, she is actually played by by the Shining Temptation cast member Erica Luttrell again. Mm-hmm. I guess that name just keeps popping up in our yeah. show, Shining Time, Magic School Bus, and now Ghost Rider in the new Ghost Rider Mysteries. Uh, and, however, the reboot was actually very different. There were no old characters that came back apart from Ghost Rider. There was no rallies or any other sort of continuity from the pe- previous show. Ghost Rider's on-screen appearance changed. There was no origin story like we got in the original show and I guess the most notable of all the changes is that there was no serial storyline. Each story wrapped up in one episode and it was essentially because of all these changes that the show really never cut on and was cancelled after one season. And I guess my first question first and foremost is did you actually watch the new Ghost Rider Mysteries? I didn't even know it existed until doing research for this, like, and, and looking at it and going, oh, this is different. But when you change something so much, like, and it's so far away from the original, it's you know, and it, it just doesn't hold the same tone. And then that's when stuff starts to fall apart. When you change too much, an entire show, book, movie adaptation, television adaptation, anything can just completely fall to pieces. Um, I mean, that's what you get with stuff like Percy Jackson. Like, you change too much of the plot, and then it just goes, and you get a mediocre-type movie. And I think that's kind of what, from what I was reading and, and the 
footage I've like kind of seen is it just the tone wasn't the same and because they've completely like scrapped the characters and just kept the concept like it just you've lost three seasons of connecting with those characters and those story arcs so like trying to go forget all of that here's the new stuff that's that's hard for an audience especially kids that were growing up on that and that were interested in coming back to it and for new kids that were watching it there was nothing really special about it yeah like uh i I can get understand that i guess one thing for me like because like i said i just and and grow up in a sense watching the original show on tv so i guess going into into it because i believe recently they were all uploaded to youtube as well every all 13 episodes of that reboot uh, like going into it, like I knew it was going to be very, very different than than uh, the original show Ghost Rider. And uh, but one thing that I just was sort of interesting uh, was there was a team member named Strick. His I guess his real name was Henry. So this character actually, it's alluded to that he had a criminal past uh, because this episode where he talks to a uh, a parole officer of some sort and uh, and there's a story where they suspect that maybe his parole officer might be engaged in police misconduct with other episodes that also sort of tie into that aspect. I think it was actually sort of an interesting angle to take for a Ghost Rider team member. Even though, like you said, it was very, very, very different from the original. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, I'll I'll give them that they were trying to do something at least slightly different, but you're taking a huge risk when you do something like that. Yeah. So maybe if I went back and, and I sat and watched all of them, it might work. But uh, you know, yeah. it, it just depends. I think also because it was picked up by a separate network, there was a lot of like fingers played into it because you don't know how these types of things are made. But you look at stuff like you know shows that are UK based that are brought to the US or vice versa. With like, there's a show that I watched, um, the IT crowd, the IT crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like full five seasons in the UK, and they tried to do a pilot over here, and it could never air because it was just so poorly executed. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it was something similar to that, where they took the concept and said, "We're gonna rebrand it and do something, come, you know, brand new and fresh with it," and then it just was like, uh, "We're just gonna run this season and be done." Yeah. So yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Because the other show I mentioned earlier in this broadcast, Hustle and Udis, that that show is actually based off of a Dutch series, Head House and Udis, and and like like the first season, like it's actually pretty similar story-wise. Like they just about about the only sort of change that they did was they sort of 
took two villains from that season and combined them into one, and then obviously they changed the storyline to follow that change. But overall, it's actually pretty similar and pretty close. Those the first season, but then when we get into season two and three, that's when they start taking more risks and changing things up and not closely following the storyline. And, and that's when I guess some of the things, start, at least from a writing perspective, start to go a little downhill. Mm-hmm. I guess it's sort of similar in that regard. And, uh,. And then one thing that that was, I guess, revealed, I think it was like in 2011, I want to say, when they interviewed like one of the head writers, uh, Kermit Frazier, uh, they actually I have in my notes, it's from 2010, not 2011. Well, anyway, he revealed that Ghost Resident was going to be revealed to be a runaway slave during the Civil War. And so what happened was essentially what his backstory was is that he escaped to the north and he taught himself to read and write. But then he later came back down to the south to help other slaves or children escape. And then on the way back to the north with those children, he was teaching the children how to read from a book. But then slave catchers and their dogs found them and then they chased them. And this, and this, and as a result of all that, the the slave was essentially killed, and then his spirit was caught in the book. And that book somehow later wound up in Jamal's basement, and then that's what happened when it was released in Ghost Story, like I said earlier, how that sort of happened. See, and I think that's a that would be a great like wrap up to the series if they were able to put that out there and like if it was like five episodes of the like a season four just like to wrap up everything and kind of like bring it all together i think that would have been absolutely fantastic but here we are (laughs) now i guess another thing that that's worth uh noting uh is that Hooper and Mr. Brinkerstore was actually supposed to be the original pilot, and Ghost Story was actually added much later. And with that said, I actually have a theory that uh, Hooper and Mr. Brinkerstore was actually produced by another production team, which had a different vision for the direction of the show. There's actually some some evidence to get alluded to those that missing in action member Craig. Uh, that it, was, it was supposed to be made a member of the team because it was revealed in an interview that producers wanted an older team member to sort of serve as a mentor for the younger team members. And this was later changed, and he wasn't invited back after filming the pilot. And then, and then the other thing that you can tell when you watch it is that the indoor shots were... Uh, actually filmed on location as opposed to a sound stage and all the other story arcs. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is that Ghostwriter's on-screen appearance was different in this case. He appeared essentially as a single 
circle as opposed to that trademark circle with the two arches above sort of like the RSS symbol. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the biggest uh, clues for me that this might actually be the case uh, was, uh, was that it was another article that was released before it ever aired saying that, that the producers wanted to confirm after the first season that Ghost Rider was a 15th or 16th century raider, but not really in Shakespeare. And then if this was true, that would make more sense in uh, Huber and Mr. Binker's store, just because uh, in, if you go to that case, just to, just to sort of uh, sort of explain what what happened is essentially answer to who burned Mr. Brinker's store. It was Mr. Brinker who burned down this burned that back room because uh, because he was allegedly involved in a video piracy ring and and he was burning the fire. So he set the fire to destroy the evidence and so. Early in the story arc, uh, we have an FBI agent that, that that gives Mr. Brinker a blue letter that essentially puts them on notice, like we're on we're on to you, and we want you to testify against like the leader of that video piracy ring. And Goldschneider reads it, and he asks Jamal what copyright infringement means. Hmm. And, and for me me like knowing a lot about copyright law, I actually know that the first first copyright law that was ever passed was in England in 1709. And so that was the statute of Anne and that would make sense if he's from the 15th, 16th century, why he would not know what what copyright infringement was versus the explanation where he taught himself to read because I guarantee you, open any book and like one of the first few pages is going to be a copyright page with a copyright notice mm-hmm. so it would so that doesn't make as much sense versus this other explanation that was later on and obviously yeah that's that's interesting yeah and so and so I guess uh, the next the next question is, which is sort of what we talked about already a little bit, was if they brought back Ghost Rider today in a similar format and plot, do you think it would still work given like all the technological changes that has happened since the nineties? What I think would be interesting, especially since this is owned by Sesame, is to see more puppetry aspects brought into the show. Um, And it doesn't even have to be like Muppet puppets, but it can be like digital puppetry, like Baldo or like uh, 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 Sid the Science Kid and do stuff like that. You can also do a lot more with, you know, the, the ghost himself can like, you know, not look like static on your TV screen. Um, 
because that's so that's what I thought it was at first. I thought it was static, and I was like, "Oof, this is this is rough." Um, so I think there are some positive points that can definitely come out of it if they had strong writers. Because that's I think that's the biggest thing with a, a mystery series like this is you have to have strong writers. Um, I think it's I think it's something that could work. There's not a lot of shows out now I think that have that have a, a solid ensemble of kid characters that do this mystery type thing. Um, you know, Ghost and the, you know, uh, um, Supernatural are, uh, have always been a, like, key point in interest in kids and teens and adults. And I think if you took the concept and, like, aged it up ever so slightly to a YA audience, so, like, you know, middle school into high school type, um, made it, I wouldn't say darker, darker, but, like, darker in tone. Um, for some of the serious plot points, um, I think it could work really well. I think it would work great on, like, Netflix. I really think this would work really well on a streaming service. The, I don't know how many kids, because the kids, there were, like, ten kids in the first one, in the first round, and then in the reboot, there were, like, three. So, like, I don't know what a good number would be. I have found with stage shows with us for our library programs with ARO, it, like six is a good number. So like maybe six would be good. I would say no, no going back to the 10, I would say absolutely 1000% no more than 10 kids because that's that's way too many to figure out. Um, I think, I really do think it would work. I mean, when you look at shows like Ghost Whisperer and Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and you know, they're there's ghost-themed episodes of different shows like Magic School Bus and, you know, other other kids' shows out there. There's always a spooky ghost episode of Something's Haunted. I think there's enough material to work with, and I think there's enough, you know, you can start with a certain concept of horror and then be able to, you know, like kind of like how they were, like, initialized the, the backstory of all these different characters and and the ghost itself and who it is. So I think it'd be interesting to see if they did bring it back and how they would be able to do it. I mean, honestly, if they wanted to, they could do the whole thing animated, too. Because yeah. I think that would be nice. Uh, well, I guess some of the, like, the original writers and producers from like the original 90s show like some of their concerns is certain with I guess regards to technology would be things like uh, rallies like you wouldn't need to write say rally J to call a rally you could just text that on your phone and then everyone would get it in a group chat sort of thing or mm-hmm. or, or with the age of the modern internet and Google like they wouldn't I'm not sure if Ghostwriter would translate well in that aspect, but I I actually disagree because there are some things that would work that that couldn't just be explained like here's Google or here's the internet, like like for instance in that story arc where Rob was in the subway tunnel, I can guarantee you he would not have cell phone service if it was in an abandoned subway tunnel. It would be. It would be metal and 
and pretty much covered he would probably not have cell phone service so being able to use Ghostwriter to communicate with the rest of the team would be would still be in need of it and also there were times where Ghostwriter helped the team find information or words that couldn't be found even in the age of Google like for instance that story arc where uh, Rob is trying to help prove his new friend Victor that he wasn't behind behind the vandalism going going on at school they he thinks that someone is trying to deframe it and and he and he realizes that the person that they think think is behind it likely has his backpack that has his notebook, his journal in. And in that journal, uh, Victor has a poem called For Quincy, which Victor knows by heart. And so they're able to convince him to, to write, down, write down that poem. And then he gave it to Rob and then he gave it to the team. And then Ghostwriter was able to use it to try to find the man. If I could find enough evidence to say from the suspects who it is that actually is the one framing Victor. And so there's that. And then another instance is, is um, the shipping company that was used for the clean dry cleaners. Uh, that was a story arc where they uh, were investigating who dumped uh, chemical waste in the community garden years ago. It was now affecting the health of people, uh, and, and, it, and they traced it back to the chemical products that were used at that meaning clean dry cleaners, and so they were able to have Ghostwriter be able to go and find uh, find the name of the shipping company that was used to haul away the the toxic chemicals that that was there and so even like if that information is stored on a computer like your, your average child is not just going to be able to like walk up and say okay where where is it Ghostwriter was able, be able to help in that sense and then the only other instance I can think of is in the story arc Get the Message where where there's that car crash that uh throws the team into a fight. Tina catches the car crash on video and then moments before they see two guys running past them on camera and so Ghostwriter is able to actually find detail on the VHS that are sort of fuzzy and blurry and can't or even cut off to the point where the average human eye couldn't see but with the help of Ghostwriter, they'd be able to actually see it, and then they're able to continue solving the case from there. So... I think, I mean, honestly, if we were going to reboot this show, mm -hmm. there were going, the, the biggest, that I think the technology stuff is going to be the biggest thing that's going to need to be adjusted, because you have, mm -hmm. you know, the, the cast of characters and their interaction with the ghost is going to be fine. They're always going to be able to figure that out. 
it's how they interact with technology, like you were saying, like, there's so much that you can do now, so I think they'd have to set up boundaries and rules and things that are available to them and things that are not, and they would have to go in more of a folklore mystery route with it, as opposed to a, you know, some of the things that they did previously. I think the other thing that I'd be interested in seeing is there's a lot of like ghost hunting technology out there Mm -hmm. and I think it'd be interesting to see how that could be utilized within the plots of the series Mm -hmm. Um, because that would definitely set it up differently than previous the previous shows but Uh, also be relevant to what the plot of the show is Mm-hmm. And like stuff that actually exists. It's not just like Humpty Dum, let's just make up this, you know, ghost hunter thing. It's it's not like a Danny Phantom thing. Mm-hmm. Like these are things that actually exist in the world. So this will be that would be something that I'd be interested in seeing put into the show as well. Yeah, I think that would be a cool angle actually. And so so now our I guess my last point is uh the actual Ghost Rider reboot that uh, that is being produced, uh, and I can't emphasize this enough. The show is not released, so we can't say one way or the other what it's going to be like. But we do know some information. It, it is being produced in partnership with Sesame Workshop and uh, Sinking Ship Entertainment, uh, which is known for their work on another modern PBS kids show, Odd Squad. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I've never heard of it. Maybe I have heard of it. Let me look it up. What's it about? It's it's basically uh, a group of kids that run this organization that Oh, I've okay, I know what it is. I'm looking at pictures now going, I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of the show. That's uh, yeah, so, and it's only you mentioned uh, mentioned the streaming aspect earlier because I believe that once the show is ready to be released, it's going to be released on the streaming service. I don't know if it's going to be Netflix or something else altogether, but I do know it's going to be released on a streaming service. Good, but, good, good. good. But, I guess the thing that's worth mentioning the most is that the pl- the plot sounds very different altogether from when compared to the original 90s show. This description, I actually have it word for word pulled from a casting call that was announced in March of 2018. And here it is. Part mystery, part comedy, Ghost Rider is an update to the hit 90s series of the same name that pits the supernatural against the supernormal. When 11-year-old Ruben's mom passes away, she leaves him her unfinished book. A book that, unbeknownst to him, unlocks the ability for him and his two friends to communicate with a variety of ghost writers. These writers enlist the trio to help them return escaped characters to their respective books. Unfortunately, the ghosts can only communicate in short spurts and only by manipulating the available text around them. To make matters worse, the escaped characters are only visible to Ruben and his friends. 
The damage they cause, however, is not. With time never on their side, it's up to Reuben, Donna, and Curtis to solve who the mysterious writers are so they can figure out how to capture their escaped characters. Oh, and survive school at the same time. So that's basically the summary of the plot. So based on that alone, does it sound promising? I mean, it sounds like they're going in a... I mean, I can't tell until I see footage. I right. mean, that's gonna that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. People yes. will go, oh, what do you think of this? And I'm gonna be like, I don't know. I have to read it or see it or watch it or whatever. Um, I, I think it sounds like it's going in a decent direction. But again, like, I can't make any judgment because something could sound really great in phrasing and words and then, like, the execution of it's, like, ugly or, like, just crap quality so we'll see what happens I'm, I'm I, I I'm optimistic but I'm also not holding my breath yeah I mean too one thing I will say though with regards to sinking ship entertainment I believe like the main characteristic is a combination of live action and CGI with as it relates to uh, children's entertainment so so I think, at least picture and visual quality-wise, I think that'll be good. Yeah. But like you said, it's going to be hard to say until we actually see the actual final version. I think Sesame Workshop, as far as educational series goes, they obviously know what they're doing. Their show, Sesame Street, has been on for 50 years. So they know how to do produce a show successfully um i think what this what this will give the opportunity to do is this will give the writers of sesame street and other sesame workshop productions previous and current the opportunity to write for an older audience because i think that's what's the next step this is like the next step of expanding their writing skills and expanding their production and producing and directing skills and that kind of stuff um it's kind of like you know when you watch like sesame street as a kid and then you progress up into the muppets like you can watch muppets as a kid but like they're definitely more of an adult like persona and you appreciate them more as adults it's kind of like i think it's going to be kind of like that so i'm i'm very optimistic to see what happens i think they'll do a good job with it um, regardless, people are going to watch it. It might not be something I enjoy, but you know, some some kids will find it entertaining. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you mentioned like sort of like growing up because I actually remember reading in an interview with again producers from Ghostwood. I think what 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 Sesame Workshop essentially tasked them to do was to come up with a concept for a show to promote literacy again for that whole audience like the, like their vision was like the like kids would obviously start out with Sesame Street and then eventually they would grow out of it and then they'd move on essentially to the electric company and then eventually they'd grow out of that and then they wanted Ghostwriter to essentially be that that next step along the way. Well, and that's very smart for a company to be able to do that because you can't just produce, you know, shows for a specific genre of character, genre, age of children. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 
being able to offer like it shows it shows diversity in the company if you can say oh are you this age to this age well this these are some shows that are great for you that we produce and this age to this age well here are some shows for you and like being able to show that you do offer a variety of shows for a variety of ages i think is really good i think that's one thing at least you know looking at mattel you know obviously switching companies but i think looking at mattel there's there's a good variety of ages genders uh, you know engaging interest in in all those different aspects of you know some of these kids might be interested in something so here's a show and like doing that kind of stuff i think the japanson company also does a very good job of that and they're you know taking a look at stuff like we know we have the um uh, I know it's not, I know Sesame Workshop is completely separate from Jim Henson Company, but you have stuff like um, uh, uh, Dark Crystal is coming out. That's definitely geared towards people our age that grew up on the Dark Crystal movie. There, it's geared towards more of an adult audience, but it's also going to be a family type adventure show where kids can sit and watch, like those like eight year olds that are getting that are past that Sesame Street age, but interested in puppetry and interested in that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you have Muppet Babies for that age range. You have the Muppets, which Lord only knows what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. So there are certain there are some companies that do a very good job at figuring out like where, um, how to gauge the age range and, and get people to watch their material for a variety. Disney does it very well um, with all of their different products. Surprise. <laughs> Yeah. Well, because and then you look at Disney with doing stuff like you have Disney Junior, you have Disney Channel, you have Disney XD, you have Freeform, you have ABC, you have ESPN. So like, no matter what you're in the mood to watch, Disney's got you covered. Like, yeah. So I'm optimistic. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. Yeah. I'm gonna be judgy because <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> Okay, so on that note, do you have any final thoughts on Ghost Rider? Uh, word. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we covered pretty much everything there is to talk about. So, so, uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, next time we will be doing another pick of mine, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah. And hopefully PJ will be back once again to, to join us. But until then, this is Rico and Eric saying... Uh, okay. okay, sorry, my phone just went off. Okay, so until... <laughs> so on, so until, so until next time, this is Rick and Eric saying thank you for joining us on Beyond the Lens. Yay! <laughs> thank you for listening to Beyond the Lens. The intro music is Work. That's W-E-R-Q by Kevin McCobb. It is available under a Creative Commons Attribution License and can be downloaded for free at Incompetech.com. Beyond the Lens is a ReCore Entertainment production. Words, words are hard. It's so late. <laughs> I say it's not really that late.